Welcome to this week's Christmas Come Follow Me podcast for the week of December 21st to the 27th. I am David J. Ridges, the author of the Book of Mormon Made Easier uh, study guides. You may want to have your Book of Mormon available uh, because we'll be referring to several verses as we go forth this hour. The stated theme for this week's Come Follow Me, He Shall Come Into the World to Redeem His People. That's the Savior's major mission, as you know. Uh, As you can also see early on in the Come Follow Me lesson for this week, the first major paragraph there Uh, refers us to the title page of the Book of Mormon and gives a major purpose for the Book of Mormon as, and I would invite you to turn to the title page of your Book of Mormon. It's early on before the Book of First Nephi. We're going to read from the second paragraph about a little past halfway. One of the major purposes of the Book of Mormon is to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ. By the way, uh, this title page was actually written by Moroni. It's a literal translation of Moroni's last statement taken from the last page left-hand side of the plates. By the way, you can study that or just see the reference for that in History of the Church, Volume 1, page 71. As you know, the subtitle of the Book of Mormon is, quote, Another Testament of Jesus Christ, close quote. That subtitle, by the way, was added in 1982. And one of the interesting facts, for me at least, is that Christ is mentioned on average, one way or another, on average every 1.7 verses in the Book of Mormon. Why don't you turn with me to... 1 Nephi chapter 2, verse 1, and uh, 2 and 3, and we're going to just look at how Christ is mentioned so many times throughout the Book of Mormon. No wonder there's such a powerful spirit with the Book of Mormon. It gives the Holy Ghost countless opportunities to testify of Christ to you and to me. Let's just quickly look. 1 Nephi chapter 2, verse 1, second line, you see the word Lord. Uh, you also, uh, second to the last line of verse 1, see the phrase, which I commanded thee. I is another reference. That's the Lord speaking there. Verse 2, line 1, end of the line, you see the word Lord. Verse 3, second line, end of the line, you see the word Lord. In other words, Christ is mentioned almost constantly, one way or another, throughout the Book of Mormon. 
you think of some places in the Book of Mormon, for instance, in the war years between Alma chapter 43 and the end of Alma, and Christ is probably not mentioned quite as often there, but uh, there are many verses where he is mentioned many times in the verse. For instance, turn with me to First Nephi chapter 10, verse 4. That's First Nephi chapter 10, verse 4. Let's just read it and see how many times Christ is mentioned there. Verse 4, Yea, even 600 years from the time that my father left Jerusalem, a prophet would the Lord God rise up among the Jews. By the way, a prophet in this case is a reference to Jesus Christ. Continuing, even a Messiah, there the Lord is mentioned again. Or in other words, a Savior mentioned again. And in verse 5, And he also spake concerning the prophets, how great a number had testified of these things concerning this Messiah, there you have it, of whom he had spoken, or this Redeemer, there you have it again, the, of the world. Verse 6, Wherefore all mankind were in a lost and in a fallen state, and ever would be, save they should rely on this Redeemer. And verse 7, And he spake also concerning the prophet, this case, that's John the Baptist, who should come before the Messiah, there you have Messiah, to prepare the way of the Lord. And on and on and on. So, it's a wonderful fact that Christ is mentioned on average, one way or another, every 1.7 verses in the Book of Mormon. And it is a prime and wonderful opportunity for us to have the Holy Ghost bear witness to us of the truthfulness of the role of Christ as our Redeemer. And it strengthens our testimony. Every time I open the Book of Mormon to read or find something in it, there is a spirit that comes upon me that bears witness that Jesus is the Christ. And also it warms my soul. One of the ways that the Book of Mormon brings us closer to Christ is it teaches us uh, the power of his atonement. Now, one of the major messages for me in the Book of Mormon is that we, through the atonement of Christ, can become spotless when we appear before Christ on the final judgment day. Spotless does not mean perfect. And it's important that we understand the difference between spotless and perfect. If you think that you have to be perfect, you're going to set yourself up for real discouragement throughout your entire life. Let's go to Second Nephi chapter 33, verse 7. I'm turning to it too. Second Nephi chapter 33, verse 7. Let's read it together. Second Nephi chapter 33, verse 7. 
where Nephi, as he says goodbye to us, says, verse 7, I have charity for my people and great faith in Christ that I shall meet many souls spotless at his judgment seat. If you're making notes in your uh, scriptures, you might just put a little note there by spotless after having marked it and put not perfect. In the Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 348, uh, we read that we read that it will be a long time after we have finished up this life and after Judgment Day, we, we see, before we will have become perfect and have become gods. Quoting from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 348. When you climb up a ladder, you must begin at the bottom and ascend step by step until you arrive at the top. And so it is with the principles of the gospel. You must begin with the first and go on until you learn all the principles of exaltation. And listen carefully to this. But it will be a great while after you have passed through the veil before you will have learned them. It is not all to be comprehended in this world. It will be a great work to learn our salvation and exaltation even beyond the grave. Now, for me, that's very, very comforting. That means that if I strive to live the gospel and uh, keep the commandments and make and keep covenants, that I can plan on Judgment Day with all my imperfections that I still have, I can plan on and look forward to having the Savior's Atonement finish the job for me and allow me to enter into celestial kingdom exaltation, which is the highest degree of glory in the celestial kingdom, and then finish learning everything required to become perfect and become with my wife, uh, become gods, and go on throughout eternity uh, with having our own spirit children and creating worlds for them to go to and go through the same plan of happiness, plan of salvation that we have gone through under the direction of our Heavenly Father. So, one of the major messages of the Book of Mormon to me, which is very encouraging, is that I don't have to be perfect. I can become spotless through the atonement of Christ and be made perfectly clean and fit to enter into the presence of God and live there with him forever. Now, another major message that's very comforting to me in the Book of Mormon is regarding the Savior's birth. Let's go to 3 Nephi chapter 1, verse 9. That's 3 Nephi chapter 1, verse 9. This, as you recall, is the time when the Savior is going to be born, and the wicked people among the Nephites have actually set a time, a day. Verse 9 
Now it came to pass that there was a day set apart by the unbelievers that all those who believed in those traditions should be put to death, except the sign should come to pass, which had been given by Samuel the prophet. So many of the people have said that the time is past for that sign. So they've actually set a day when they will execute the believers. And so on this day, at verse 10, Now it came to pass that when Nephi, the son of Nephi, saw this wickedness of his people, his heart was exceedingly sorrowful. And verse 11, And it came to pass that he went out and bowed himself down upon the earth and cried mightily to his God in behalf of his people, yea, those who were about to be destroyed because of their faith in the tradition of their fathers. By the way, remember there are righteous traditions of their fathers, and hopefully we are making righteous traditions for our friends and our families and our children and grandchildren and others that we can influence. Now, verse 12. And it came to pass that he cried mightily unto the Lord all that day. And behold, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, Lift up your head, and be of good cheer. For behold, the time is at hand, and on this night shall a sign be given, and on the morrow come I into the world. Now can you imagine how the Savior himself felt about actually coming and being born, receiving a physical body, and all of the things that are involved in mortality. Think how it must have been for him, who was the Jehovah of the Old Testament, who had taught the gospel, and who now gets to come and actually experience it. Uh, in my own mind, I imagine a tender farewell some years before this in the premortal realm where the Savior said goodbye to Mary, who would be his mother here on earth. I imagine that to be a very tender farewell. And also for noble Joseph, who would be Mary's husband here on earth and who would help raise the Savior. So I see a lot of tender feelings, especially as the Savior uh, departs and is actually born here on earth. By the way, uh, some people don't notice in verse 12 of 3 Nephi chapter 1 that it was the voice of the Lord that came unto Nephi. Some people think it was the Lord who appeared to him. Now, by the way, the Lord can do anything that's needful to uh, have this scene with Nephi take place. Uh, some people wonder, did he leave his body uh, in Mary's womb and come over and speak to Nephi? Or was it 
some other means. Heaven has all kinds of ways of giving us messages, and I guess we'll just wait till we get into the millennium and somebody will ask the question, possibly during a wonderful fireside during the millennium, where we get to ask all kinds of questions and ask, how did that take place? Were you actually uh, there with Nephi talking to him? Were, was it a pre-recorded message? Was it the Holy Ghost using divine investiture to uh, uh, give the message? Don't worry about it. Just It's fun to ask questions. Just don't start answering them. One of the questions that comes up uh, is, did baby Jesus have the veil? What's the answer? The answer is yes. You can go to Luke in your New Testament, Luke chapter 2, and go to verse 52 and read that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. James E. Talmage, who was the author of Jesus the Christ, on page 111, says that Christ had the veil. And President Joseph F. Smith, in a 1901 April conference, said that Jesus did not know who he was as he lay in the cradle. So Jesus did have the veil, but we know that it didn't take very long before the veil was completely gone. Because, for instance, in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 46, you recall that uh, his parents, Joseph and Mary, had brought him to Jerusalem for annual Jewish rituals. And that when they were on the way home, um, they lost track of Jesus. And three days later, they came back into Jerusalem to try and find him. And they found him in the temple. And in verse 46, it says, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. By the way, the Joseph Smith translation makes a very significant change to that verse and says, And they were hearing him and asking him questions. So by then the veil had to have been gone, and he knew who he was, and he was uh, uh, about his mortal mission already. As we think of his birth and life and ministry, and his indescribable gift to us of the atonement, which is part of this Come Follow Me uh, lesson, we can reflect back on what the Book of Mormon has taught us over the past year, and, of course, will continue to teach us. We see that one of the major messages of the Book of Mormon is very encouraging. In fact, the whole message of the Book of Mormon is very encouraging. For instance, 
What does the Book of Mormon teach as far as how long it takes to be forgiven when we truly repent? Well, uh, one of my favorite places where the answer to that is given will be in Mosiah chapter 27 with Alma and the four sons of Mosiah who had been causing all kinds of trouble. So go with me to Mosiah chapter 27 verse 24. Alma now has uh, been brought back home. He has been unconscious or whatever for two days and two nights uh, plus the day or night or whatever that it took to bring him back home to his father Alma. And so Verse 23, let's read that as a preliminary for 24. And it came to pass after they had fasted and prayed for the space of two days and two nights, the limbs of Alma received their strength, and he stood up and began to speak unto them, bidding them to be of good comfort. Verse 24, Alma the younger for said he, I have repented of my sins and have been redeemed of the Lord. Yea, I am born of the Spirit. So how long did it take him to be forgiven? Answer, three days. That's pretty fast, but that's extremely encouraging, at least to me. It means that it doesn't have to take me very long if I sincerely repent to be forgiven and get on with my life. Let's look at verse 28, still here in Mosiah chapter 24, verse 28. Alma the younger is speaking. Nevertheless, after waiting through much tribulation, repenting nigh unto death, in other words, during the time that he appeared that he was unconscious, he was going through deep remorse and deep and sincere repentance. The Lord in mercy hath seen fit to snatch me out of an everlasting burning, and I am born of God. Verse 29, Alma says, My soul hath been redeemed from the gall of bitterness and the bonds of iniquity. I was in the darkest abyss, but now I behold the marvelous light of God. My soul was racked with eternal torment, but I am snatched. I love that word snatched. That's a powerful word that our sorrow and our uh, the things we're going through because of what we did, it is snatched from us. And my soul is pain no more. This is the message of the Book of Mormon. It's very encouraging that we can be forgiven quickly. Now, another question that goes along with this that the Book of Mormon teaches us the answer to is how can you know that you're forgiven? Well, let's go to Alma 36 on this. Uh, again, as this Come Follow Me lesson for this week tells us to think back on what the Book of Mormon has taught us and what it's doing for us there we could spend uh, days and weeks and months of course 
answering that question, but we only have a few more minutes here. So, how can we know that we're forgiven? Alma chapter 36, starting in verse 19. And now behold, when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Be real careful that you don't say, I could remember my sins no more. Some people misread this and come up with that idea. As long as I can remember my sins, I am obviously not forgiven of them. That's false doctrine. What did Alma really say? I could remember my pains no more. And going on with verse 19, Yea, I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. The memory. I could remember them. But I'm not that person anymore. I'm a new person in Christ. That is not me. That was me. But now I am harrowed up, meaning torn up by the memory of my sins no more. I had a student in one of my seminary classes many years ago who kind of waited until the end of class and the other students were gone and then she timidly came up to me and said brother ridges can i ask you a question i answer of course yes and she said a couple of weeks ago in my sunday school class we were taught that as long as we can remember our sins we know we have not been forgiven well, that's a terrible false doctrine. Think how devastating that is. So I mentioned some things about Alma and then took her to the Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, verses 42 and 43, and reminded her that the Lord himself says, when we have repented of our sins, I, the Lord, remember them no more. And that means that he will not even bring him up on Judgment Day. Imagine the relief in, in her face and in her whole body when she found out that that was not a correct doctrine and that we can remember our sins because it helps us not to uh, do them again. But we are forgiven and so there is no pain remaining as far as having him brought up on judgment day that won't happen at all now another message of the book of mormon that i love that makes it so important and relevant to me is this supposing you have a sin that you want to stop and you've tried hard, but still haven't overcome it, and so you still repeat it once in a while. Well, what does the Book of Mormon teach as far as how often you can repent and still be forgiven? This gives me great hope. Let's go to Mosiah chapter 26, verse 30. Mosiah chapter 26, verse 30, and read what the... Lord teaches us in the Book of Mormon. In chapter 26 of Mosiah, verse 30, a very simple answer. Yea, and as often as my people repent, will I forgive them their trespasses against me. So, 
we just keep trying and we don't give up. If we give up on repenting of something that we really need to, then we are defeated. But as long as we understand that as often as we repent, we can still be forgiven, then we can move forward in our lives. I think one of the things that Satan kind of puts into our minds on that is, even though we're sincerely trying to repent, he kind of puts it in our minds that it's kind of hypocritical to ask forgiveness when we know pretty well that we'll probably do it again. Well, no. We keep trying. We sincerely work at it, and the day will come when we'll overcome it. In the meantime, we know we can keep being forgiven. As long as you understand this doctrine and understand it with a sincere heart, then it is not hypocrisy. You are simply a weak person on that aspect and keep, you're going to keep trying. Now question, is it possible to be happy in the midst of the trials and tribulations of our day? What's the answer from the Book of Mormon? Let's go to Alma chapter 50 verse 23. And by the way, as you know, we've had quite the year. 2020 has been a very rough year for many people. But in the midst of trials and tribulations, here's what the Book of Mormon teaches us. Alma chapter 50 verse 23. The Nephites and the Lamanites are involved in terrible wars, and this is a very difficult period of time for the Nephites in the Book of Mormon. But what about those who are trying to faithfully keep the commandments? Uh, is it possible to be happy? Well, here's the answer. Alma chapter 50, <clears throat> verse 22 and 23. And those who were faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord were delivered at all times, whilst thousands of their wicked brethren have been consigned to bondage, or to perish by the sword, or to dwindle in unbelief, and mingle with the Lamanites. Now verse 23, in that setting, And behold, there never was a happier time among the people of Nephi, since the days of Nephi, then in the days of Moroni, during this terrible time of warfare. Yea, even at this time, in the twenty and first year of the reign of the judges. So, the Book of Mormon's answer basically is, yes, we can be happy no matter what the circumstance. I believe we've heard President Nelson teach that several times. So, a major message here is that circumstances are not a good predictor of happiness. Now, let's finish up. What does the Book of Mormon teach us regarding Christ himself as a person? This is a very tender part of the Book of Mormon for me. I love it. Uh, it teaches that Christ is very humble and very approachable. Let's go to Ether chapter 12, verse 39. That'll be Ether chapter 12, verse 39. 
And here Moroni is talking to us. Verse 38, let's use that as background. And now I, Moroni, bid farewell unto the Gentiles, yea, and also unto my brethren whom I love, until we shall meet before the judgment seat of Christ, where all men shall know that my garments are not spotted with your blood. By the way, garments not spotted with your blood, that symbolism that he has done everything in his power to help us uh, come unto Christ. And so our sins are not going to be upon him because he has done everything in his power to bring us to Christ so we can be free of our sins. Verse 39, And then shall ye know that I, that's uh, Moroni, and then shall ye know that I have seen Jesus, and that he hath talked with me face to face, and that he hath told me in plain humility, even as a man telleth another in mine own language concerning these things. I love that, that Christ came to Moroni and talked to him face to face, and that Moroni was very impressed and appreciative of the Savior's deep humility. And that is the Savior whom I worship. And the Book of Mormon, the whole Book of Mormon, is a ma major representative of the tender mercies demonstrated by the Savior towards us. As mentioned in a previous Come Follow Me podcast, uh, we see the term tender mercies in First Nephi chapter 1, verse 20. In other words, right at the beginning of the Book of Mormon. And then in Moroni chapter 10, verse 3. Why don't you turn there with me as we finish up. Chapter 10 of Moroni, verse 3. Behold, I would exhort you that when ye shall read these things, if it be wisdom in God that ye should read them, that ye would remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men. In other words, another way of saying that the Lord is full of tender mercies in his heart towards us. And so, mercies of the Lord, the tender mercies of the Lord, are in effect bookends to the whole Book of Mormon. First Nephi 1 and 20 being one bookend, and Moroni 10 and 3, talking about the mercies of the Lord, being the other bookend. And so, I bear witness that as we continue to read and study the Book of Mormon, we will continue opening the door to these and countless other blessings and tender mercies from the Lord that await us in the Book of Mormon. And I leave that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.